Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 937. I have enormous patience with uh, a number of different things. I, I would like to think I had better patience with people, but I, I look at things in the long term. I don't look at it in the short term. You know, I've had failed restorations before, and instead of doubling down and getting angry, I, I go and talk to the person and just say, how are we going to make this work for you? This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Dave Kinney. Hey, Dave, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Buckled in. Here we go. Dave Kinney is the founder of U.S. Appraisal, a classic and collectible automotive truck and motorcycle appraisal company. He appraises classic, antique, and special interest cars and collectible cars. He's the publisher of the Haggerty Price Guide, our friends over there at Haggerty, a post-war price guide for classic and collectible automobiles. He's a senior member of the American Society of Appraisers, and Dave is a Concord judge at numerous prestigious events around the country and a member of over a dozen professional automotive organizations. Dave is one a busy guy. So Dave, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment to share a little bit more about your career and a very obvious passion for automobiles? Well, thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I've been a car guy all my life. As a matter of fact, uh, somebody asked me if there was ever a time when I wasn't one. And I really can't remember if there wasn't. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story about that in a little while. But uh, I started my appraisal business in 1991, basically, because I was in another business that was very financially lucrative. But I think I could hear my brain melting because there were just no challenges involved in it. And I wanted to do something that was more challenging and back involved in automobiles. Uh, that, you know, the cars that I love and the, and the people that I love dealing with, uh, uh, classic and collectible automobiles. Now, of course, classic and collectible is defined as cars that were made about a week and a half ago, but that's just, <laughs> that's just another change in our marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the Haggerty Price Guide has become kind of the go-to for people for up-to-date current things. I had McKeel Haggerty on the show and, I know so many people with Haggerty and other people who work there have been on the show as well. So it's a really good resource. So before I jump into my, my next question here, though, how on earth as an appraiser do you stay on top of a basically a moving target? Because like we just have auctions going on right now in New York City as we're recording the show before Christmas. Of course, the show is going to air the first week of January. But how do you keep up with all this stuff? It's a lot of work, and uh, uh, I don't. I'm not going to pretend that I have a head for numbers, but I do have a head for cars. Um, now, uh, you know, since I started this as something called Cars That Matter in 2006, and about three years, four years into it, uh, McKeel Haggerty had approached me, and we decided to uh, to merge our efforts and make it into the Haggerty Price Guide. Now we have, I, I believe, there are nine full time people working with us on pricing and trying to get it right, which, of course, is a moving target. I used to say that we had a giant roulette wheel. Um, that was that was 
that was back when I was working by myself or working with just a couple other people. Right. Uh, now we do more research, I think, than anybody else. But it's a lot of work to get it right. And, of course, you're right. It's a moving target. So things do change. And, you know, sometimes we're spot on and sometimes we miss it by a bit. But we're not ashamed of that. And we'll always try and correct it when we're called out. So, um, you know, sometimes people have an agenda with the value of their cars and sometimes they're <laughs> they're absolutely clueless and uh, we try and help both those people well i've learned over time most people think their cars are always worth more than they really are but i know that what you guys do is to me knowing the market the way i do is very very accurate and i'm seeing more and more in advertisements oh i'm a Haggerty price guide level two car or this car is a level three or a level one or so and so so i kudos to you and this team because uh very very challenging job Thank you, Mark. I, I have a great story to, to, yeah. to go with that. We were under deadline for the very first book, and I had about 25 minutes to write out the four condition values that we use, one through four. And I wrote those out in 15 minutes. And, you know, they've been with us since 2006. And I get them quoted back to me all the time. And it was, you know, it was not, you know, there was 15 minutes of actual writing. There was about 15 years of trying to figure it out, <laughs> as, as you know. So it's really funny because sometimes I, I hear the thing on the lawn at the best concord in the concord in the world with not a speck of grass in the you know in the uh, treads of the tires and you know that just came flowing out one moment and right. it was just one of those lucky things that happened so Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny you talk about 10-15 years of experience over the years I've been hired to do different creative things for people and I'll quote them a price and they'll say well, how can it be that expensive? How long is it going to take you? And I said, well, it'll take me, you know, seven, eight hours. Well, gosh, that's really expensive. And I said, well, yeah, but you get the 30 years of experience before those eight hours included with the bill. So you're getting a exactly. deal. Yeah. So exactly. people, people forget about that. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that has a great meaning for you. And it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So Dave, take the wheel. Well, I'm going to go back with the one that's probably the most expected. You treat people the way you want to be treated yourself. And I think that's really, really important. It's something I learned from other members in my family. It's something that I try really, really hard to follow. Sometimes it's a little hard. But if the job requires going the extra mile, go the extra mile. If the uh, person that you're working with is cooperating and is genuine in their interest, you know, you're always going to go out of your way to help that person. Uh, when I say help, I don't mean that we're going to increase the value of their car. Yes. I mean that we're, we're going to go to that next level of research. We're going to make those other phone calls. We're going to do all those things. And I think that, uh, you know, having a smile on your face and being nice is really, really important, too. And I try never to forget that. Well, it's the old golden rule, you know, that uh, do yeah, unto others. I mean, that's I wish the whole world would act like that. It'd be a much happier place, wouldn't it? That's for sure. Very nice. Be. Very nice. Well, let's go back in time. I would love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were indeed a car guy? Yeah, um, there actually is. And I, I think about this every once in a while. Um, uh, my my parents, my mother and my father, were not car people. I have one brother and one sister. They're definitely not car people. Um, and so I really don't know where it came from, but I can tell you that uh, when I was about six years old, my father's best friend was a, uh, or one of his best friends was a guy who owned a cab company in our local town. And one day my dad came home with a used, maybe four or five year old Dodge cab. 
And I got in it and I saw the wires that were hanging from the uh, from the headliner. And I saw where there was, you know, putty over where uh, the, the light box was up top and a few other things and where they'd taken the paint off and put a cheap paint job on it. Now, this was when I was six years old. And I remember talking to my dad and I said, Dad, this is just so wrong. Uh, we 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 had a much nicer Ford, and this was going to be the second car, and this would have been our first second car in the family. But I remember I was just I, I don't know why I was so upset about my dad, you know, buying this car, which by the way he never did buy. He actually decided against it and got uh, got something else. But uh, um, it was just one of those things where it was like even as a six year old, I knew that owning a taxi cab was. <laughs> Probably, probably not a good thing for a prospering attorney in a you know a then kind of smaller and now real big town yeah. that I grew up in. So oh, how funny! Well, see, you were leveling cars and assessing cars at the age of six, so maybe it was meant to be. There you go. There that's, you go. That's a great story. I love that. Well, Dave, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the many roads you've driven down, and no doubt your career over time has been met with some challenge maybe even a great failure that you face. And the most important part of these things are what they teach us. So take us down that story, walk us through it, and then tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum to move forward in your career, your life, your business. Just out of college, I started a uh, uh, an automobile business called Contemporary Classic Automobiles in Arlington, Virginia, which was my hometown. And um, I had worked when I was 15, 16, you know, all the way up till uh, probably about my year of my 21st year uh, in the uh, afternoons and after school and then coming home from college at a car dealership or a series of uh, two or three different car dealerships, uh, mostly all specializing in antique and classic cars at the time. And, I, you know, I'm, I hesitate to tell you the type of cars that we had because now some of them are multi-million dollar cars. But I thought I'd branch off and open my own car business, and I ran it for about a year and a half, and I realized I loved buying cars, and I hated selling cars. And uh, I've, I'm sure you've heard that before. A lot of people say that. Um, but I got out of the business in a really unusual way. I had signed a lease on a building uh, and uh, you know, for the garage in a building, and literally the same day I was signing the lease, the building was sold to some people who wanted the garage. And one day, uh, you know, the CEO of the company came down and said, what do I have to do to make you move? And I said, write me a big fat check. Yeah. And uh, about a year and a half into it, we came up with a, an idea of what a big fat check was. And it was, you know, buying out basically another, I guess, two, three year extensions on my lease, something like that. And I really didn't realize that it was worth that to them, but it was worth that to them. So that was the day I got out of the car business. Um, <laughs> I got a, I got a big fat check. I had about four cars or maybe five cars left. I probably drug a couple over to my dad's house and my mom's house and, uh, you know, I had them sit there for a while while I waited to sell them. But uh, basically it was a colossal failure. I mean, my being in the car business, I didn't make any money. And in the end, I did make money because I signed the right lease. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, I took some time off and, uh, uh, you know, kind of reassessed and then got into a second business, which uh, was a, a, a parking lot business that my father started. And the last thing I ever wanted to do was work in the in the family business. But I did for a number of years. And like I said, I got out of that when it was just, uh, you know, uh, we'd grown the business. It was starting to get smaller because development was coming in and it was just time for me to do something else. And that was in 1991 when I decided to become an appraiser. 
Wow. Wow. What a story. Well, I guess that worked pretty well with that lease you signed. I mean, you know, you just never know where a windfall might come from. You know, some people go through life and they think they're not lucky. I am not that guy. I think I'm the luckiest guy who ever walked the face <laughs> of the earth. I, I, you know, every single day, you know, I don't reach down for the metaphorical dollar that's, you know, there in front of me or whatever. But I, I sometimes see opportunity in things that are, you know, other people would say are, you know, are not such an opportunity. And I think that part of that is having a positive attitude, Mark. I really do believe that because I think when you, you know, you open your mind up and you open your eyes up to, you know, to the things that are coming down the road, uh, it works. And, uh, you know, it doesn't cost anything to be friendly. It doesn't cost anything to try and be happy. So I try externally as much as I can to, you know, put on a happy face. You know, I smile here because way back in a way former career as an account executive and creative director, I had a very challenging client. And uh, this particular person was just always, always angry and upset about something. I mean, it just was incredible to me. And one day she said to me, how come you're always so happy? How come you just be happy all the time? I don't understand. And I remember looking at her saying, why would I choose to be anything different? Yeah. And no, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and that and that and that choice is yours. And it's such a it's such an important thing to, you know, to let other people know if they're, you know, if they're not that way. And, you know, when I talk to kids sometimes, you know, they, when I kids now, I'm, of course, talking about 20 year olds. But, you know, <laughs> you, you sit there and you go, you know, it's so easy and it doesn't cost anything. Why would you not? Um, and, you know, you'll probably live longer and you'll definitely have a happier life. Uh, if you're miserable, you're going to make other people miserable. So why bother? Yeah. What's that old saying? You can attract more flies with honey than vinegar or is it bees? Uh, it's one of one of those things. Some, I, I always some, thought, why do you want flies? But I yes. think the, the message is this. Some insect that we probably don't want anyway, but that's uh, OK. Yeah, I it's think true. so. I think so. Well, great story. Thanks for sharing that. I'll let you gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's a time when you realize that is the path I need to go down. That's the fork in the road I need to take. So tell us about yours. In uh, approximately, now I'd started my business in 91. And in approximately 2003, um, I was doing some appraisal work. And I realized I didn't like the price guides that I was looking at. And, you know, I, I put a couple cars. I was actually doing an ESO Grifo. And uh, I looked at the price in the price guides. And I said, I would buy a truckload of these cars at this price. Um, you know, and, and bad ones at the price that they're giving me as the top price. And I thought, you know, somebody should write a better price guide. And at one point, it just said, well, you know, maybe I should do that. And I contacted a person that I'd worked with at uh, Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I used to write for Sports Car Market. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had gone off and, uh, you know, started another career. Uh, his name is Brian Raybolt, by the way. And um, I got in touch with Brian and I guess probably late 2004. And I said, Brian, I want your help. Uh, I'm going to start a price guide. But the only way I'll start is if I have you along. And he said, well, tell me more. And I told him more. And I said, and I believe he's quoted this back to me around 500 times. I don't think it will take more than 10 hours a month. And of course, <laughs> you know, at, at the beginning, it only took about 10 hours a day on yeah. top of it of his full-time job and my full-time job. Uh, but we got it going. And uh, when we came over to Haggerty, I insisted uh, that Brian come along. And I know that Brian is a superstar at Haggerty. And, you know, I knew that he would be because he's that guy who'd be a superstar anywhere he goes. 
And uh, even though I'm the the guy who created it, he's the you know he's the genius behind the curtains, um, and he's the guy who makes the makes the numbers work. I'm I'm the guy who looks at an Excel spreadsheet and say, wow, that's really interesting. How do we manipulate that? And in the meantime, he's the guy who's going through the Excel, you know, at a million miles an hour. So, yeah. um, you know, it makes it makes you know our complementary skills. Uh, I tell jokes and he laughs at them. Uh, <laughs> Very nice. Uh, e- even though he's heard them many, many times too many. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of, uh, we're not oil and water, but we're two completely different people and we have a different skill set and it just worked out. So, yeah. um, you know, that's, that was, that was the aha moment for me that, you know, that, that maybe I could create a price guide. And I'm very, very proud of, of what's happened to it. I'm, I'm proud that we started it and we did a good job, but the people at Haggerty have just been, I, you know, I, I can't be effusive enough. They've been fun to work with. There's no pressure that they ever put on me for anything. They value my time. Uh, they value my expertise. And it's fun working with exciting people who are a lot of the times younger and not like you and me, you know, beaten down by life. <laughs> Yeah, they've got their whole they've got their whole career ahead of them. So, yeah. uh, and, you know, it's really really fun working with uh, working with them, and uh, I'm enjoying it, and I'm going to do it as long as I possibly can. There you go. I love it. Well, how about a proudest career moment? I would assume you've had many of those, but is there one you could share with us? I've had a few. Um, you know, when you're an appraiser, sometimes you wind up testifying, and I've I've had my my cousin Vinny moment on the stand. I uh, I actually had a uh, I won't go into the sordid details, but it was for a about a twenty five hundred dollar car, and it was in bankruptcy court. Oh gosh! And, uh, yeah, I know. And you know, you're you're sitting here going, "Well, yes, I work with Lamborghinis and I work with Rolls Royces," but every once in a while, you wind up with a crappy old Lincoln Continental, and the guy's in bankruptcy court, and you're 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 trying to help out, and. Um, uh, the the car had a bad engine and the uh, attorney for the other side it was just the three of us in the, or four of us in the in the uh, courtroom the two attorneys myself and the and the judge and uh, i had said well uh, you know there was a it, it had a bad engine and i said you know and and the reason the value is so low is because it's got a seized engine and the attorney for the other side said now how do you know that and i said well, I relied on the information supplied to me by the, uh, you know, the mechanic in the shop uh, where the car was in for repairs. And he said, well, you haven't proved. And the judge looked at me and he looked at the other attorney. He says, I and, you know, I said, actually, I, as an appraiser, can uh, rely on the uh, uh, information supplied to me by other witnesses. And the judge, like, you know, literally took his glasses and put them off his nose <laughs> and said and said to the attorney, the opposing attorney, he said, he's right, you know, and, you know, you better you better uh, take a look at the law because you're uh, the witness that you're, uh, you know, going against seems to know the law better than you. <laughs> yeah. <And> ouch. <laughs> that, yeah. That was one of those things. And then when it was all over and, and like I said, it wasn't a big dollar amount or anything like that. The judge absolutely thanked me and asked me, uh, you know, how I knew so much about the law, because that wasn't the only thing. And I told him that my dad was an attorney and I grew up around the law. And he uh, said, well, you ought to consider a career change. And I said, no, I like being the white sheep of the family, not the black sheep of the family. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I love it. Yeah. My cousin, Vinny, I remember that line as well. Very cool. Well, yeah. let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first very special car, that first car that had great meaning to you. What was that vehicle? Oh, it was a 1963 Studebaker Avani uh, R2, which is a supercharged car and a four-speed. 
And uh, I had bought five, count them five, Plymouth units from a company uh, called District Disposal Service. And yes, they were a trash company. And they all had around 100,000 miles. And this was these were 1968s, and this was 1972. And if uh, anyone else that is old enough to remember, in 1972, a car with 100,000 miles was all used up. That was the end of the road. They were... I paid two thousand dollars for the five of them. That's not two thousand each. That's <laughs> yeah. four four hundred bucks yeah. a piece. And I and I fixed them up and I sold three of them, including one to my sister. She is you know in two thousand sixteen. I think she forgave me, but um, <laughs> uh, and fixed them up and sold them. And I had two left over, and I traded two of them towards that uh, Studebaker Avani, which was at that point the car of my dreams, and uh, I got it. And I thoroughly enjoyed it, and that started a, you know, I actually had a passion for Studebaker Avani's. But right. uh, I will guarantee you, you'll never have anyone talking to you again who's owned more Studebaker Avani's than I have. Wow. It's, a, it's not a passion, it's an obsession. You know, I, 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 I go to the meetings once a week. Hi, I'm Dave, and I own too many Studebaker yeah. <laughs> Avani's. So, uh, you, know, you know how that goes. Well, I know you and I follow each other on Facebook, and just the other day I stopped to get gas, and a lady pulled into the gas station in one, and I walked over, and she got out. I said, a Studebaker Avanti, and she looked at me with this puzzled look. She goes, nobody knows what this car is. How do you know what this car is? And I started talking to her. Her father actually worked for Studebaker. It was originally his car. He would bought it new. He passed away and left it to her. And so I thought, you know, and I, you don't see those around here. Well, you don't see them anywhere, really, but you don't see them around sure. this little town I live in. So uh, I had to post that up on Facebook and let everybody know, look what I ran in today. This was pretty cool. And of course, it led to a giant thread of Avanti lovers. And I never thought I'd opened a bigger Pandora's box. Yeah, you probably have. I mean, you know, it's 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 the cross I bear sometimes, I think, because so many people, they're such a, you know, they're, they're an off-putting car to people. I think it's like 50% people, 50% of people hate them, 50% love them. Or maybe it's 30, 30, and, you know, <laughs> uh, whatever, uh, 30, 30, and and uh, 40, I guess. Well, no, wait a minute. I do math. I can do yeah. this. Yeah, 30, 30, and 40. Uh, but anyhow, the, uh, the long story short is they, they tend to either people really like them or they don't like them. And unfortunately or fortunately, uh, my gene pool included those people who uh, you know absolutely think they're a stunningly amazing car for their time. Right. Now, you know, we always have to talk about that because somebody was uh, on Facebook not too long ago and they said they drove one. And it had horrible brakes, and I said, "Well, horrible for 2017, or horrible for two th- or for uh, 1963." 63, and, you know, yeah, <laughs> you have to put it in the perspective of the time that it was made. Absolutely, absolutely. I know Lance Lambert, who uh, used to do appraisals in the area where I live, and he's been a guest here on Car Show. He has one of those, so absolutely. I knew I knew he would pipe in when I uh, put that up there. So, in fact, his is kind of almost the same color as the one I saw, but his is a much prettier looking car. Well, how about seller's remorse? Is there a car you've let go that you really wish you had back? And I want to take money out of the equation here because we all have cars we've sold that have gone up in value, and that's the reason. But I want to talk about emotion. I had a car that I was uh, you know, physically invested in much more than I was financially invested in. It was a 1965 Rolls-Royce Silver Cloud III. Um, unfortunately, I took it to an auction, and when it was on its way to an auction – the beautiful mirror gloss paint uh, a fender was was damaged and i had time to get it repaired before the auction and of course it didn't look the same and 
you know, it was, it was one of these cars that had, you know, quote, a mile deep of paint and it was black. And uh, Rolls calls that Mason's black. And it's just beautiful when it's beautiful. And when it's not, it's really not. Um, I would have liked to have wound the clock back and had it for the accident or had time to properly repair the car. But I didn't have the financial wherewithal to keep the car for a long period of time. So uh, I, I pretty much had to let it go and sold it as a lo- at a loss. Um, it is not a car that I couldn't duplicate again, but I had put so much heart and soul into that car. And I'd bought it from a friend of mine who's since passed away. Actually, by the time I got around to selling it, uh, he was already very, very ill and wasn't going to last a long period of time. So, um, uh, you know, there's, I'd, l- I'd like to be able to punch the reset button on that one, but I will tell you, Mark, I don't live my life with a lot of regrets. Uh, there are plenty of cars I should have bought and didn't. Um, there are plenty of cars that I had the opportunity to buy and didn't. Um, but there are plenty of paths not traveled in everyone's life, so I don't beat myself up over that. Well, I'm glad to hear that. That's why the windshield's bigger than the rearview mirror. It's much better to look ahead than back. So, very nice. Well, let's. we're into the new year here, and Happy New Year again to everybody. And I would love to hear what has you excited and fired up as we move into 2018. Well, I think that every new year is restarts restarts the market. Uh, we have a, a reset of the market, as it were. And, uh, you know, Scottsdale's coming up and, uh, of course, Kissimmee for uh, the Mecham auction. So we have five or six of the biggest auctions in the United States that are coming up. And that's always an exciting time because this is when you kind of look in, you know, kind of open the hood up and see what the new trends are. Um, you know, as I kind of made a little a uh, joke about, you know, we have these cars that were built in 2015 that are now called collector cars because mm-hmm. that's just the way the market has moved. Um, when we started uh, Cars That Matter in 2005, we made the choice to put in the Ford GT and the Z8 um, uh, BMW, which were both kind of new production cars, uh, because by the time we got around to publishing it, the, the depreciation curve had ended. And we're seeing a lot of those cars the same way that are kind of built to be special. Uh, and built in limited quantities and not just, uh, I call them uh, tape and stripes uh, packages, you know, tape lights and stripes packages that, you know, General Motors was famous for and Ford as well in the 70s and 80s. Oh, here's a special edition. Why is it special? Because we put badges on it. Yeah. Um, you know, the, a lot of the manufacturers are saying, wait a minute, we can, you know, we'll really make the content on this one different than the other ones and, and make it kind of a special car. Porsche is the uh, you know probably the leader in that, but a number of other manufacturers are doing that as well, and some of them are absolutely worthwhile. Anyhow, your question: uh, the first of the year means a reset on where the market's going uh, mentally for all of us, and so I'm excited that we're right there right now. Very cool. Well, I'll put you a little bit on the spot here. A reset. What do you see in this year for the collector car market? Because I know we had kind of a peak in 14 and some of the cars kind of leveled off. Blue chips, of course, are always way up in the stratosphere, but most of us can't play in that part of the arena. So what do you see this year for the general collector car? Let's say anything from a 50000 to a quarter million dollar car. Well, I like to tell everybody that my crystal ball was built by Lucas. So Uh-oh. once again, it's out for repair, <laughs> but... Uh, um, I'd like to think that we're going to have a little bit more of the same that we've had. It hasn't been a big, huge growth market, and I think that's really good. Uh, you know, 2014 was kind of the wild roller coaster ride where 
you know, you bought a car in early 2014 and you could sell it in late 2014 if it was a special car, a collector car that was like a blue chip. Um, it probably went up in value, you know, over that period of time, maybe 10, 15 percent. And there are some cases where it went up over 100 um, percent because things were catching on. So um, now there's slow growth. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, invest in the Van Goghs, uh, invest in the, uh, you know, in the uh, Picassos, invest in the Warhols uh, if you're going to invest. But if you're buying a car for investment. Uh, you're probably doing it wrong. You should probably buy a car for the fun and the investment should be the icing on the, um, you know, nobody likes to lose money, but I always love it. You know, I, I drive a Ford F-150 and, you know, the minute I drove it off the lot, let's be realistic. It lost $10,000 in value. You know, people buy collector cars and they're just absolutely dumbfounded when they drive it for two years and then they sell it for 20000 less on a $65,000 car or something like that, because that's all it's worth. Well, if you didn't buy it right, there's a really good chance that it's going to be a little tough to sell. Um, and it's the same thing. I mean, cars do depreciate, and cars, when they change conditions a lot of the time, uh, are a little bit tougher to sell. Um, I would, If I was buying cars and worried about the money side of it, I would stay away from 50s four-door sedans and a lot of 60s four-door sedans at this point. Because the market is shrinking and there's still some really good cars out there. That being said, that presents an opportunity for people who want to buy a fun four-door car just to drive around in. Uh, you know, Portland is full of them just down the road from where you are. Yep. Uh, there's quite a, quite a few in Seattle and a number of different cities have these, you know, uh, let's call them the generic hipster mobiles because, uh, you know, no one in your neighborhood is going to be driving a bullet-nosed Studebaker. Uh, or a uh, Packard from 1955 or something like that, which is a car, you know, that makes you distinctly different because that car is different. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm expecting a little more of the same, but we've got a couple things. I mean, I, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty, but we've got a couple things working here. There's a, a change in the tax laws that's coming into effect. And, you know, in 2014, that was kind of the end of the time when you didn't want to invest in stocks and didn't want to invest in real estate or at least not go in with both feet. Now it seems people have gone in with both feet, um, and I think it's a really good sign that the car market hasn't gone down a lot um, because, you know, uh, I have some collectors who, who we manage. Uh, we don't manage their collection. I should back that up. We have some collectors who get their appraisals done by us every three or four years, and, you know, some of them got into it because they wanted an investment. But most of them are finding that they don't want to get out because they're having so much fun. And I think that's wonderful when you see that because that's what it's all about. Uh, one in particular is taking their cars to Concor, a word they didn't even know existed in 2013, and having fun doing it and competing and meeting, you know, different people and fun people and car people. And right. I think that's where that's where it's at. Very nice. Very nice. You heard it from the... Uh the guy who knows it all's mouth, the guy with the Lucas crystal ball. So, uh, <laughs> the light, I, it's a, I, I think I still have it. It's been out for repair for a couple of years yeah. now. So the light's uh, flickering just a little bit, just a little exactly, bit. Exactly. Oh, nice. Well, Dave, here's a very introspective question. If you were a car, what kind of car would Dave be and why? I'd be a Bentley. A Bentley. Um, okay. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. I'm a Bentley guy as well. And, um, I, I really, I understand the brand. Uh, you know, the Bentley was the was the race car uh, that Rolls Royce bought into, and now Bentley is its own separate brand again. 
And, you know, with the exception of the Bentaga, the SUV, they don't sell a lot of them. It's still kind of custom made and bespoke. Now, I know not all of them are. and You could argue that he is very much a production car. But it's just a little oddball and just a little different. And it makes you smile a little bit when you see one. And, uh, you know, from that standpoint, I think that uh, it's a brand that I identify with. And I like the there was a there was an ad that was done by Carriage House Motorcars in the late, uh, probably early 1970s. And they described uh, the Bentley, you know, versus the Rolls Royce. It's for the man who's won the race yet spurns the laurels. And I just <laughs> I just always like that. In other words, you know, you don't have to you don't have to be showy about it. You're driving it because you like it. Uh, not because you want everybody to, you know, have it in your face. And I don't think a Bentley is an in-your-face car. And, uh, you know, so that's, I mean, that's that's my quick and easy answer. I'd probably be a more contemporary Bentley than I would be an older Bentley, too. And I think that's fascinating as well, because it is something I really very much identify with. Very nice. Well, Dave, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yow sponsors. Everyone who knows me knows I'm really picky when it comes to my cars and keeping them looking new. I'm a huge fan of Covercraft floor mats. I've protected my vehicle with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft floor mats. They will protect your vehicle's factory carpets from daily abuse, weather, pets, children, weekend adventures, and those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and stylish way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft floor mats come in a wide variety of styles, materials, and configurations, all designed for maximum protection. In addition to Premier Plush and Berber Custom Floor Mats, you'll also find cargo liners, canine cargo area liners, dash covers, and sunscreens. Enhance your vehicle's looks while protecting the factory finishes with easy-to-install and easy-to-clean floor mats. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Market Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. All right, Dave, we are back and we're entering the last lap. This is where I fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers so here we go what's the best automotive advice you've ever received buy the best you'll never regret it oh so correct <laughs> oh my gosh yeah i know so many people have restored cars and just gotten so upside down that it's crazy now would you yeah, share absolutely. yeah would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years 
I have an enormous patience with uh, a number of different things. I, I would like to think I had better patience with uh, people, but uh, I, I look at things in the long term. I don't look at it in the short term. You know, I've had failed restorations before, and instead of doubling down and getting angry, I, I go and talk to the person and just say, how are we going to make this work for you? And uh, believe it or not, when you say that, uh, they will tell you what their problems are and what they're, you know, they're having to deal with. And it makes it easier for you to understand. And, and, you know, hopefully you can come to that kumbaya moment where you're towing the car away half completed and taking it somewhere else. Absolutely. Yeah. Just as simple as that. Very nice. Now, there are a lot of great resources these days, more than we could ever have dreamed back when you and I were young men. Is there a resource that you're really fond of you'd like to share? You know, there's so many of them, it's hard to kind of pick one out. I, I'm going to go you know, to the obvious and tell everyone that you can go to Haggerty.com slash valuation tools and see our work, and it's free on, online. So that's something that, you know, that we use every day. Um, I really like using uh, some of the European uh, websites and trying to find out what interests the people in Britain and what interests the people in the continent, because a lot of the times you'll see that Maybe a TR6 gets a real lot of play on uh, in Great Britain before it gets the due that it's deserved here in the United States. So generically, I love going to European automotive websites and, and taking a look at cars uh, that they're offering and kind of wondering why on the price or trying to figure out how we can track those. Ah, great advice. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be? Probably Ettore Bugatti. Um, uh, yeah. You know, that, my second choice would be W.O. Bentley, most likely, but uh, a very complicated person, uh, you know, like uh, Ferry Porsche, like a number of other people. Very, very complicated. And I'd love to find out, you know, what made that man tick. And I think that that's something that, uh, you know, I probably share that with thousands and thousands of enthusiasts. Ah, yes. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Now, about a book. Is there a book you've read that you could share with our listeners? I'm going to give you the best book you've ever not written. It's called The Amazing Mr. Moe's, oh. soon to be a major motion picture. And that's <laughs> M-O- and that's the title of the book, Mark. I'm not kidding. Um, and it's M-O-H-S. And he made the Moe's Safari car. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, there was another car that his seaplane company made. And it's written very seriously. And it's one of the funniest things that you will ever, ever you know read. If you put it in context with every other book, the first chapter is him speculating about the hotel room he was conceived in, and it doesn't get any worse than that. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but it is a story about a true American individualist, an iconoclast, an inventor, and it's it's something that every serious automotive guy should have in his library just to pull it out every once in a while and read another chapter because this guy was a true American one-off, and you got to love him. Uh, everyone else said he couldn't do it, and he just went ahead and did it. So that, that, it's a great one. Well, I'm glad you recommended that. I believe that's the first time anyone's recommended that book, which I'm a little <laughs> bit surprised by, but I think that's great. And I'll remind our listeners, there's a great place on the Cars yeah! website called Guest Recommended Books, where this book and all the past, uh, gee, 937 guest books are listed there, and I made it very easy for you with quick flicks to buy right to Amazon. And you can find all these great resources on Dave's show notes page on the Cars yeah! website. Just go to carsyeah.com, type in Dave Kinney, K-I-N-N-E-Y, and that page will pop up with all those very cool links. All right, we're up to the checkered flag here, and this one can be a bit of a doozy. 
I'm going to buy you any cool collector car in the world. Doesn't matter who owns it. Doesn't matter where it is, what museum it's in. I'm going to put it in your garage. Money's no object, but you can't sell this to buy a bunch of other cars with. So that little trick's off the table. You've got to keep it, enjoy it, and I certainly hope that you drive it. What's it going to be? That would have to be a Ferrari short wheelbase, uh, alloy-bodied uh, car. You know, there was when I was working as a kid at the place that I worked at, we had one. People don't believe me when I tell them that we sold it for seventy-five hundred dollars. <laughs> But that's what we sold it for in 1972. And I think it is the most versatile of all the Ferraris. I like it better than I like Ferrari GTO. In the alloy especially, uh, it's a it's a little pocket rocket. Not too terribly complicated, uh, even for its age. And just a, a really, really fun car to drive. Unfortunately, I don't think people drive them too much anymore because they're you know, way above $10 million now. So, but they're a wonderful car and, and something that everybody should look at and, and, and see what I'm talking about with the short wheelbase. If you're not already familiar with it, it's a beautiful car. Oh gosh. Yeah. You picked one that has uh, tugs on my heartstrings and I'll tell you, I'm going to send you a picture. In fact, I'm going to post it on my Facebook page. I have a friend that has one. He's had it for a very long time. And every Christmas he goes out and puts a tree on the top and brings his Christmas tree home with his SWB. Uh, amazing. It's cool. And every year I post it and people think it's a fake. They don't believe it. I uh, know the car. I know the guy and yeah. I know the picture. So yeah. I know exactly what you're talking All about. All right. Well, and I was fortunate enough when I was at the Cavallino many years ago, he tossed me the keys and let me drive that thing. And I just couldn't wipe this grin off my face until I got back home about five days later. So absolutely. Yeah. He's a great guy. Awesome. Well, Dave, you've taken us on a great ride. You are an awesome guy. And I want to thank you for all your wonderful stories and for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yeah audience. Could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the sunset in that Ferrari 250 SWB with an alloy body, of course? Live your life to the fullest. You're not going to get out of it alive. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. And remember that. And what's the best way for our listeners to follow along with what you're doing? Probably on Facebook. I'm Dave Kinney on Facebook. Also, uh, you can go to my website, which is usappraisal.com. And of course, like I said, uh, our work product for the uh, Haggerty Price Guide is at haggerty.com slash valuation tools. Well, listeners, you will find all these great links on Dave's show notes page on the Cars yeah! website. So again, just go to CarsYow.com, type in Dave Kinney. I would encourage you to follow Dave with what he's doing. This is a guy that is having a lot of fun with cars. I love your Facebook posts, all the great places that you go. At least if I can't go, you're kind of taking me along with all the pictures and the fun things that you do, and I greatly appreciate that. And if you're not familiar with the Haggerty Price Guide, you should be if you love cars because it's an amazing, amazing resource. Dave, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your journey with our listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimball.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. 
Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.